Uh, I, have, I have three short announcements for you this, this morning before we get going. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, if uh, Everything that we do, basically at Omen, is, is volunteer. Uh, and that goes to the cleaning as well. And so if you walk in here and there's not dirt in front of you, that's because people volunteered to clean that. If there is, take off your shoes and wipe it up with your feet. That'll help me. Anyway, uh, if you are part of the cleaning crew or you'd like to be, if you're looking for something to do, uh, it's, it's once a month, one day. Uh, I think it's a couple hours. Oh, yeah. yeah, a couple hours. Uh, you can uh, show up. Next week they're having a cleaners meeting after first and after second. So if you come to this service, you don't have to come to the one early. You can come to the one right after. And uh, my mom actually runs. I know it sounds weird, my mom, but... She's been cleaning up after me my whole life somehow now. She's still... <laughs> it's kind of weird when your mom goes to the church that your pastor has. Anyway, so she's been running this, this cleaning thing, and she's uh, run, running a meeting next week after first and after second. If you would like uh, to be involved in the cleaning thing, or if you are already, she'd just like to meet and talk to you guys for a little bit. That's the first one. i got to do that one. It's on a salmon post-it, which is always very man-like. Uh, the sec- <laughs> second thing is this. Uh, I have some friends who name are Joy and Sabin, and they own a, own a tattoo shop. And they have a friend who has breast cancer. And they, they don't have insurance, and so she's having a really hard time. So they, in their very creative way, uh, they are doing a fundraiser for her. So uh, they're, they're doing uh, inexpensive tattoos today from 12 to 6, as well as hosting a barbecue. That's like a hot dog and a bag of chips and a drink for like 5 bucks. So if you guys want to, they're right, they're called Upper Room Tattoo. You go down Broadway and then Main Street, and so if you make a left right on Main, they're right on the right right there. So I've been thinking, maybe I should get a tattoo. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. I don't know. I go by. Uh, the proceeds are going to go help this girl with breast cancer. Uh, and, the, and the third thing is this. Uh, Michelle Sullivan, uh, if, if you are on our prayer list, if you get our, our prayer updates... Uh, there's a lady named Michelle Sullivan. She is pregnant. She's having a baby, and we encourage that. Babies are good. So, you know, yay, way to go. You made a baby. Uh, but what it does on their side is she, she sends out the weekly prayer update. And so if you go to our website and you need prayer for something, you write a prayer request on one of these grab-me cards in one of the back of the seats. They go to her, and then she sends those out, puts them on a list. People pray for those. Uh, when she has the baby, she's going to need about two months off because she's giving birth to a person. All right. So if you are somebody who is a little computer savvy and you'd maybe like to help out with that for a couple months, could you come and talk to me and let me know? Then I'll get you in touch with her and we'll work that all out and stuff. Okay? Last service, nobody talked to me. So apparently nobody wants to be involved with prayer because it's just scary or something. Why don't you guys stay out with me reading God's Word? We'll get going. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, uh, in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would be a people who would understand more and more what you call us to, uh, what you call us to cultivate in our lives as you called Adam to cultivate this garden, and that we would be a people then who reflect you and your goodness in our lives so people would know who you are because life is about you and it is not about us. Amen. Have a seat. We are doing a series called Empire, as you can see from the slide. Uh, it's going to last six weeks. We are unpacking this whole idea of what the kingdom of God is. So it's, it's a very big and very uh, deep subject. I, I don't usually teach uh, topically, but then people make fun of me because even though it's kind of a topic about the kingdom of God, it's not very topical because I make you guys go through all, all the Bible and stuff. So it's 
great. Uh, what we're doing is a biblical and historical look at what God called his people to be a part of, what they did with the calling, and that we today are also called into that same call. So this week and the next three weeks after this week, we're going to continue to unpack this and eventually end with how Jesus saw all of this to be, the kingdom of God come to fruition, what he called his people of his day into, and then what that also means for us. We're going to go over lots of stuff. You have a Bible open to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, also, if you want to take notes, you should take notes because there's all kinds of stuff you can take notes about. You'd be glad that you did. Uh, last week, what we did is we started uh, in Egypt. And in Egypt, you see the Israelites. They're, they're in slavery and oppression, and they, and they cry out to God for redemption. And so God comes, and he brings them out of slavery. He redeems them. And what he does is he takes them on a track, and they go through the Red Sea. You've probably seen the movie, right, or the part of the Red Sea. And they end up in this place called Sinai. Now, if you missed the last two weeks, you should go on our website, ourelement.org, download the last two weeks so you can be uh, you know, up to date. You know, the messages are free, but you get what you pay for. I'm just warning you up front with that. And so you can be right where we are. So they, and God brings them to this place called Sinai. Sinai is very important to Jews, to Jews all the way to this day. Exodus 19, verse 3, goes like this. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord, that is Yahweh, called to him from the mountain, that is Sinai, and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if, and if you like to write in your Bible, you circle the word if, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now again, last week we looked at, at the beginning of Exodus and how you see the systemic oppression as well as individual sin and how when, when we sin, it, it starts with us, but then it begins to go out and touch everybody around us because when we're mad at somebody, it doesn't just stay with us. We start to talk to all our friends about it and it kind of infects them and it grows and grows and grows. And eventually what this gets to is what we call systemic evil. Everyone is born out of whack with our Creator. And so we need to know Jesus. But when sin becomes embedded in society, it becomes things like racism. It creates a kingdom that fights against the kingdom of God. And so God says to these people, when I, when you were in Egypt, I rescued you, I redeemed you. And this whole idea of pulling them out of Egypt now through the rest of Scripture becomes the whole idea behind redemption of people. So he redeems you and he says, I brought you out. But now that I brought you out, that's not all there is. I have something for you to do. Actually, what God says is, I have someone for you to be. He says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. So you go from Egypt to Sinai. This takes place at Sinai, again, a holy place for the Jews. And God has a mission and identity for these people. They are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And if today you say, well, well what's a priest? You know, it's like, oh, that's the guy that wears the funky collar. Some of them wear the, the really crazy hat. Okay? Essentially, what a priest does is a priest mediates the divine. Actually, in my notes I put, he simply mediates the divine. But I guess it's really not that simple because that's kind of a big deal. A priest puts the divine on display. If you were to go to a temple at this time, that temple would have a priest. And how would you know what the God was like that that temple was built to honor? You would look at the priest. What they ate, how they lived, how they spoke, how they moved. The priest would put that God on display. A priest shows the divinity that their God is. In our vernacular, we would say, priests represent... Then we go, booyah. That's how that works. And so you have these locations. You, you have in Egypt, you have where God pulls them out of slavery. And at Sinai, God tells them that they were not just brought out of, of Egypt to walk around and go, we're liberated, we're liberated. Oh, hey, I'm liberated. God liberated me. I'm so liberated. Just like Christians are not supposed to walk around and going, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That, 
they're like, oh, hey, I'm liberal. Let's start a liberation club and make a liberation website. We're liberated.com and, and it'll be so great and wonderful. God says, that's not what I did. He says, you are to be an entire kingdom of priests who represent, booyah, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That is Exodus chapter 19. You know what happens in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments show up. So this right here, this setting is very his, important historically. And to understand why this is significant, you know, why it's significant that God says this is who you are called to be, to understand that, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 2. So go to Genesis chapter 2, and you begin to understand why God decides to come at this point, to come to his people and reside among this community again. This is what I would call epic. It's like, an, it's like Braveheart. It's like epic story. I'll give you seven truths from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God forms the man out of dirt. The word for dirt is Adama, which is where Adam actually gets his name, and he breathes life into the man. So the first thing that you see is that man is a union of the spiritual and the physical. When the breath of God connects with the dirt, something brand new arrives. Heaven and earth, they come together. The word for being, being a living being, is the word soul. He becomes a living soul. Out of everything God created, man is unique. He is a living soul. The second thing you see is that man is a contingent being. He's a contingent being. He is wholly dependent upon an outside source. He doesn't have the resources within himself to sustain life. Man is this odd combination of heaven and earth, and he is dependent upon God. Uh, verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. The third thing that you see is that man was created to be connected to the world around him connected to the world around him. God made these trees so man could then eat the trees and those trees would give him nourishment and then man would stay alive. He is connected. And then man is supposed to nurture those trees so as to have more trees. God gives the man some very, very good things. And these good things continue all the way through verse 20. And in verse 20 it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Awesome. Awesome. Now, see, see we, don't, we don't know what Eve looked like, but, you know, compared to all the alternatives, she's gorgeous. Okay, she's just gorgeous. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of man. So God takes man and he makes him out of lifeless earth. He makes trees and food out of lifeless earth. But what does he use to create the woman? Man. Number four, God uses man to create the woman. There are some feminist theologians today who go, this is so awful. God should have made a woman just like he made the man. But they totally miss the point of what's going on here. What is going on is that at this point, you know, this is before the fall, there's no sin. What now is the best substance that God has to work with? Man. Man. God takes his best stuff and he makes woman out of that best stuff. There's a divine blessing that is supposed to go to this man as he grows and he's supposed to develop so in the end he and the woman can come together. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is beautiful, naked, eating fruit. It's a good day. It's a good day. Number five, the man and woman live with no contradiction. 
They live in no contradiction. When heaven and earth unite and this, make this union that is called man, when God incorporates himself and his breath, there is peace, there is shalom. Man gets to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. There's peace with God. There's peace with fellow humans. There's peace with your wife. Yeah. And all of creation. But sin interrupts. Sin interrupts. The serpent shows up and he begins to deceive. In Genesis chapter 3, 1, essentially the serpent, what he says is, did God really say you would die if you disobey? And the man and the woman disobey. Number six, everything becomes cursed because of the man's sin. It's a fallen world. And because of that, you see Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And at this point, now the man is cursed, the woman is cursed, the ground, the Adama that man came from is cursed, the serpent is cursed. Out of this living being called man, all this goodness was supposed to come as he was supposed to interact with everything. And now when he sins, sin enters the created order and everything unravels, everything falls apart. The background for God coming at Sinai is found in these verses. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 23, goes like this. So the Lord God had banished him, that's man, from the garden to work the ground, the Adama, from which he had been taken. And this is an important line. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Number seven is that man is now on the outside and has no access. Man is a contingent being. He does not have what he needs within himself to access true life. His life is found where? In his union with God. But now he is banished and he has no access. God cannot dwell with sin and so man is separated from God. And we call this death. We call this death. What man does on the outside of the garden now is begins to move and wander farther and farther east. He keeps moving farther and farther away from his source of life. And you find man at his lowest point in Genesis chapter 6, six, and where God is just totally sick of all that's going on. It's like if you have kids and they push you and they push you and they push you and you just go, Boom! But way worse. It's way worse. Man is so evil because of his disconnect with God that the scriptures say in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, the Lord God, the Lord saw how great man's, that's a human race's, wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. And that is the result of sin. When we as people stray further and further from our source of life, from the source of life. At this point, man has lost all recollection of the garden. He probably does not know what his purpose is. And when people lose their purpose, they get depressed and they lose heart and their minds begin to turn dark just like Cain's did. That is the condition of mankind when they come to Sinai. You've got to remember, Moses is writing these words in Genesis. Before God brought them out of slavery, much of the story probably was lost. They remembered they were children of Israel, but probably not a whole lot more than that. There's a few instances where God shows up and he speaks to like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, but not to the whole people at once. At this time, humanity, kind of like a lot of humanity today, does also. They look at the, up at the stars in the sky and they're trying to figure out answers. And so they worship the sun and the moon and, and constellations and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And so here, God enters this picture and he answers the question, why is there sin? Why is there disconnect? Why is there pain? And what God says is, you. We did it. You're welcome. That's how that works. And God, in order to save man, is about to come down and be with people again, banished, alone. And now God comes When man sinned, everything was cursed. And when God begins to dwell with his people, again, good things now start to come as he leads people into the kingdom of God. 
you have a Bible, open to Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus, God comes to a guy named Moses, and they start a whole conversation about this whole idea of Exodus, leading these people out of bondage, that God will start a work, and God will do rescue and redemption. God will do these things. And so God keeps telling Moses that he's going to use them for this purpose. Exodus chapter 6, verse 28 goes like this. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you, so you be my mouthpiece. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? He's like, I don't talk too good. Actually, most commentators will tell you that he probably actually stuttered. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. He says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You know, Aaron, he's going to handle the PR. Moses, you will be like God. Genesis starts with why there's banishment and curse and exile and disconnect and no access and silence. And Exodus starts with God starting something new. And God doesn't say, you will tell Pharaoh about God. He says, you will be like God. God doesn't say, here's my truth. Now, go find a way to creatively express this. Go make some tracks and hand those out. Because people in Egypt, they'll really like tracks. Make sure you write on it. Uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Give it to everybody. They, they, they go for that. It, it's, it's really wonderful. He says, you will be like God. You will be like God. God could have shown up to Pharaoh and said, Hello, I'm God. He could have done that. He could have spoken in James Earl Jones' voice and said, Pharaoh, I am your father. Well, but you know, not like skinny white guy trying to do James Earl, but like real James Earl Jones' voice, you know? He, would have, he could have done that. And it could have been a lot better than, than my rendition right there. You know, he, what he does is he comes to this man and he says, you will be like God. God chooses to show up and show himself to Pharaoh in the form of a human being. There are infinite ways God could reveal himself in communicating. But God chooses a human. Not someone who carries the message, but as someone who will be the message. You probably see where we're going, right, with all this? Yeah, the kingdom of God, that's where we're going. kind of gives us a good question. Does God really need a body? I mean, why does God limit himself by choosing a person to actually be the message? He could use tornadoes and earthquakes and storms. He could use ice cream because that's like God's stuff right there. And yet God shows up as a people, as a people. God shows not, up not only just to Moses, but he shows up to an entire people in Exodus 19. And he says this. I mean, if you study ancient religions, you, you never see a God speak to an entire people. It's always like one person to another. You know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, shows up and he talks to a whole group of people. This God appears to Moses and says, you will be like God. Then to a whole nation and says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will all be like me to the world. That's what he says. God has been silent for so long and now he speaks loud with a purpose for his people. How his kingdom will come to be made known. At Sinai, there are two gigantic things happening. The first one is that these people are being invited to meet with God again. And the second thing is that they are being invited to be the message. Their redemption, their rescue, that is the message. God is inviting them to go and be a kingdom of priests. Which kind of makes us now have to look at the church. The church, the whole idea of church, that's not a new idea. It's clearly shown in Exodus chapter 19. God's hunting for a body. For thousands of years, God has been looking for a body. People who will be the message. This is not new, it is very, very old. People talk about Jesus and Pentecost and this whole birth 
of the church. But Jesus is simply taking what God, what He intended from the very beginning, what He intended to happen, the church becoming the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus takes this massive tradition of Sinai and purpose and mission and identity, and He says, join what God is doing. You will be my message. You will. You see this throughout the entire New Testament. Uh, I'll show you a couple. If you have a Bible, open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, it's fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 1. Okay, it's, it's very subtle in Acts chapter 1, but, but this is what this looks like. Acts 1.1. 1, 1. I hear you turning. Oh, wait a second. Acts 1.1. 1, 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that's the book of Luke. The book of Luke talks about Jesus, the God-man coming, redeeming mankind, dying, rising from the dead. And here what he says is that is all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's like that's the book of Luke. And he starts Acts by saying, you know, now I'll tell you what Jesus continues to do in the world. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the book of 1 Corinthians, what's taking place is Paul is writing to a church. This church is tearing itself apart. These people are mad at these people. There's an internal division. All kinds of crazy things are going on. And so he writes to this church about the church being a body. He uses this metaphor because God's looking for a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. So he talks about how the eye has a function and the ear has a function. He goes on and on to verse 20, and he says, As it is, there are many parts but one body. And in an effort to get them to understand this unity, in verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Turn to the book of 1 Peter. Like if you go hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Okay? 1 Peter, go back a couple books. It's right there. If you're lucky, just hold it right to it. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 2. This whole idea of, of us being God's body, a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God is looking for a body. The church is the ongoing working of Jesus in the world so that God continues His liberation of humanity from the oppression of sin and what sin has caused into the kingdom of God. That is what it is. Now, in the world today, there are six billion, over 6 billion people on the planet Earth at this point. 3 billion of those live on less than $2 a day. 3 billion, less than 2 U.S. dollars a day. That covers their food, their clothing, their transportation, their, their medical care, their shelter. 6,000 people in Africa will die today because of AIDS. That's two 9-11s every single day. They think that Southeast Asia will surpass that in the next couple years. In the United States of America, every three seconds, a child learns that his parents are getting a divorce. Every three seconds. Every four hours, a child commits suicide. And if you don't have your head buried up to your butt in sand, you realize and that people are asking the question, where is God? Many Christians ask that question, you know, where is God? So my question to you becomes, where is God? Where is he? People skip meals because they don't have enough money. The Holocaust kills millions of Jews. There are hate crimes that are running rampant. Where is God? Now you've got to follow me here. What happens at Sinai is that God invites people to be the message. And maybe every time we ask, God, where are you? Maybe that's God's question for us. Yeah, where are you? Because you will never understand what it means to be the church or live in the kingdom of God or get the whole liberation story until you realize what the kingdom of God actually is. It is where 
you are. That is the kingdom of God. When we say things, well, what's God's plan to deal with all the suffering in the world? The question Sinai raises for us as a people is, where are you? Where are you? This is, Jesus wants us to understand this. He intends for us to be the answer. In John 14, 26, he says, But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So you can be the answer. Matthew 24, 45, He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. A little bit ago, there is a woman that came to Element, and her husband was abusing her. And she came and talked to us, and me and another elder and one of the guys on the board, we, we stepped into the situation, uh, and, and we protected her. And so you ask the question, where is God? God is stepping into the situation and protecting her. I have a, I have a friend who knew somebody else who's, whose family lost their job, didn't have enough money for groceries. And so this person goes around and starts asking all of us, hey, you got 20 bucks? 20? And so she grabs a bunch of money, buys some, some uh, grocery cards, and gives it to this family. Where is God? going around collecting money for grocery cards. Uh, a couple months ago, I'm driving down the street out here, and there's an older lady on the side of the road. Her car broke down. She got a flat tire. I pull over. I help her fix her flat. Where was God? Fixing a flat tire on the side of the road. We are the message. We are the message. I have been in hospital rooms with dying people, and I have placed my hands upon them, and I usually say something like this, God, please place your hands upon so-and-so. And I think God laughs, and he goes, I am, I am. Don't get me wrong. I am not telling you you are God, okay? There are two truths in Scripture that, you know, there is a God and you are not him, okay? That's, that's how that works. <laughs> but it is not that God is silent. It is not that God doesn't do miracles. It is not that God doesn't offer hope. It is not that God doesn't change hearts. But God primarily works through his people. At Sinai, God calls these people to be the message, he doesn't say, I'm looking for a people who can protest popular movies with great signs and slogans. He doesn't say, I'm looking for a people who can boycott the right things because that's always so compelling. You know, he doesn't say, I want people to go out to lunch after like a Sunday morning service and, and don't leave a tip but leave a track because that will really help the waitress to believe in me. He doesn't say, I want my people to cause a ruckus. He is looking for a people to be the message. How you live, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat the people at work, how you treat your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your friends or your kids, all of that is the message. The church for too long has believed that we have this thing called the message and then we articulate that right or clearly or passionately from our hearts Then people go, oh, but central to understanding the kingdom of God is Sinai and that the medium is the message. The medium is the message. The message is Jesus and what he did in you. Now, you may say, oh, I can't be the message. I'm so screwed up. Exactly. You are screwed up. That's a good thing. Okay? God. You know, that's the beauty of the message. That's the beauty of the message. That, that these people were in Egypt. They were slaves and God brought them out. The rescue of broken people into liberation because of the redemptive work of Jesus. Your crap is part of the message. I mean, do you get that? Yeah. In our culture, people want lists. You know, give me the ten things Elman is about. I always tell you, I got one thing Elman, we're about Jesus. That's what we're about. You know, pulling your butt out of Egypt and slavery and oppression and redeeming, bringing you out to be the message. Jesus, your brokenness, your honesty. It is not about being perfect. It's about Jesus and his taking you and I out of Egypt and taking us to Sinai so that we become the kingdom of God. 
You cannot be a people who pretend like you have it all together, like, well, I became a Christian. Now I'm perfect. Look at me. You're not perfect. You're jacked up just like everybody else is. That's part of the message. You know, if you act like everything's cool and you're just wonderful, that's the anti-message. That's the anti-kingdom. That's, last week we talked about the divided self. That's the divided self. The message is Jesus, God has heard your cry, your shortcomings, your failures, and he leads you out. That's the beauty of the message. Let me show you this picture. Say, that little boy. You're like, oh, that's so sweet. Little boy. You know, if you're not like a, a, you know, a weirdo or anything, that, that could be a, a cool little sign there, a little boy. You know, but, but what is it? You know, is it, is it like a term of affection? Is it a put down? Is it an adjective? What is it? There's no context. You know, it's, it's just this message, little boy. Now, let me zoom out. Like, oh, holy cow. Little boy's a bomb. Little boy's a bomb that we actually dropped in World War II. Killed thousands of people. But the sign says little boy. It's called little boy. Yeah, and there's many Christians who run around with stickers on their cars that say, no Jesus, no peace. And uh, Jesus loves you. And yet they drive like me. There's many people running around with crazy Christian t-shirts and, and they treat people like crap. The medium is the message. Little boy isn't the message. I mean, holy cow. You, it doesn't matter what's on one side. It could say two Big Macs for a dollar. You're not going to get your Big Macs because it's a bomb. And it's going to blow you up. The medium is the message. The medium. The message is contained in the medium. And you know what the message is? Destruction. Don't take us off because we'll blow you up. The purpose of little boys to destroy. It doesn't matter what's written on the outside. You know what it's for. You know what its purpose is. Its mission and identity is destruction. Where yours is life and hope to be a people of God. That's yours. God says to these people and to you, you are the message. You are. And it doesn't matter what you look like, where you've been, where you come from. What matters is what you will do with the redemption that God has given you. What you will do, will you do with that? Will you be his body, our identity, our mission, kingdom of God? This is a huge concept. It is huge. And like I said, it takes six weeks for us to unpack, and there's probably so much more that we could actually do. But God is a God who was and is and always will be and does not change. And yet he takes us and he makes us that message. I mean, sometimes I've got to think he's crazy because we're crazy. We're nuts. And yet he takes us and pulls us out and redeems us to make us that message. And if you think about something all week long, think about that. Whatever you do, you're the message. Not your words what you do. That's the message. So the next time, you know, you're, you're over at Costco and someone snakes your parking spot and you want to get out and like, oh yeah, take that on your taillight, you know? Oh, they left the cart right there. You, know? you think you're the message. You are the message. The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us into songs as we remember that God was and God is and God always will be, yet that we are children who has offered great hope and great faith to so that we can be the message in the world. As the band plays, you'll be invited to take communion. Communion reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. So you take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I, so that we can be a people who are redeemed and restored, brought out of slavery and bondage into his wonderful grace and light, and so we can actually be the message. When we worship God through prayer, there will be deacons and elders in the back. And if you are somebody who has, who has never come to a place where you have given yourself to Christ, they would love to pray with you. 
so that you can actually walk out of this place learning to live and be the message. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very back. And we give simply because God has given so much to us. And worshiping God is also giving. And so we simply give back. Uh, we're going to worship God through fellowship. Uh, there's some uh, food in the back if everybody in this road didn't eat it all. <laughs> there's some food in the back. And you guys are invited to come and, and, and eat and get to know some other people in the kingdom of God. I mean, there may be people in this room that you know and maybe you don't like. Sorry, you're stuck with them forever. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> You know, we, you know, Scripture actually says that part of the message that the world sees about who Jesus Christ is is how we love each other, how we love each other. And so part of that message is how you're going to love other people in this room. But I think it's more importantly how you're going to love those when you walk outside of these walls and how you love the world out there. You, you are the message. And it's not that God doesn't give you strength and mercy and grace and power, and it's not that God doesn't do other stuff. But God sends you primarily to be the message. So, be the message. Let's pray. Father, this morning I do ask that we would understand more and more deeply what it means to be your message. That is often as we run around and we convolute that message that, that you long for us to display. That we would stop convoluting it. And we would simply trust you as our God and live like you call us to live. God, because you were, and you are, and you always will be. And you have then taken us and made, made us your children. And so I ask that we, as your children, would live in simple childlike faith that trusts our dad more than anything else, and that we start to live as the message that you call us to be, that people would know you because of how your kids love you, and how your kids live for you. You've given us strength and grace and mercy and love and hope and purpose and identity. Give us the memory daily to remember all those things that you have given us and to live those things in abundance so that people know who you are because we live the message.